Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, it's Pastor Jim. God bless you today. Uh, you probably noticed that the headlines are filled with stories about the modern work ethic and what we do with work and whether we like work or not. There are companies trying to go to four-day work weeks to maybe get equal or higher productivity out of less work. There are companies debating whether or not to continue to allow people to work from home or to set up some kind of hybrid model. We are still struggling with the fact that we don't want to go to work and that employers are looking for employees and paying higher rates than ever before in order to get people to come to work. And yet we're still afraid that artificial intelligence is going to take all the work away from us. So we are in a messy situation in terms of our work lives as a culture and as a world. And I think there are profound theological implications of that situation. Because as we saw last week, God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and gave them a task of stewarding the earth. Work was not a punishment for the fall. It existed before the fall. The punishment was that when they were separated from God, the ground no longer cooperated with them. Work became difficult. You and I live in a world in which work is fallen. And I said last week, the way to restore a vibrancy to our work is to reconnect with the God who made us, to restore the, the relationship that was damaged in the Garden of Eden. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do no good thing. And so we want to restore our relationship, our connection to the vine so that Jesus can pour his nutrients and resources into us and bring joy to our work. And we're going to continue looking at that story today. Specifically, today I want to look at what it means to reconnect with Jesus and how we do that. And it begins with a change in our worldview, in our approach to work, as we crucify our own selfish desires and take up God's vision for our work instead. So with that in mind, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for calling us into life with meaning and purpose and giving us work to do, giving us places to expend our energy and grow our minds and bless other people. I ask that as we concentrate on your calling on our lives, that we would find joy in our daily activities, whether in the office or in the classroom or in our homes. Jesus, we ask that you would bless our work and help us to see your presence in our work. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our strength and redeemer. Amen. Uh, we're going to look at a passage now uh, in the Gospels uh, from the Gospel of Luke in which Peter identifies Jesus. And when Peter identifies Jesus, Jesus begins to reveal to Peter and to the other disciples what's coming in the near future. Peter will identify Jesus. You are the Messiah, the Christ, the chosen one. And Jesus will begin to tell them that he's going to be crucified. Um, in general, there's a, a spiritual truth at work here that as we identify Jesus and draw closer to him, he can reveal more of himself to us and more of his plans for the future to us. Uh, I was in a prayer meeting a week ago, 
Uh, and uh, as you may have heard before, if you've listened here or followed the podcast at reallife.la, uh, I go to a, a prayer center in Pasadena, and we sit in these prayer groups, and different people who have signed up to receive prayer walk in. They introduce themselves. We know their first name, and that's it. They sit down, and we pray for them. And then we see if God gives us any important words for them that resonate with their life experiences. We don't know who they are. We don't know what they do for a living. We don't know any of their life story. We just know a first name uh, and a smiling face, and we sit and pray for them. Well, this last week, a woman came in to receive prayer. And in the midst of praying for her, I said to her, you know, I think you're actually going to be a missionary. I mean, like a real-life missionary who goes off to another country and tells people about Jesus. And I think God wants you to know that He's going to supply for you all the resources that you need for that journey. Uh, I said, I, I could be wrong, this could just be me, but I think that's a literal message that that's what you're going to do. When we finished praying, she looked up and she said, well, you should know a couple of things. One, I'm actually already a lifelong career missionary. That's what I do for a living. And two, I've just given my sponsoring organization my uh, heads up that I'm going to retire, but that when I retire, I'm going to continue doing mission work. And I wasn't sure how I was going to fund it. So thanks for the good word. Well, Peter has this experience here where he's been with Jesus for a long time and he identifies Jesus. He knows who Jesus is. And Jesus reveals more of himself to Peter and says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to rise again on the third day. And when we look at Jesus' teaching that comes out of that, it'll give us a profound vantage point on how we spend our daily hours, on how we spend our time working. So let's look at that text together. This is in Luke chapter 9, and we are in verse 22. And Jesus said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. Now, in taking up his cross... Jesus fulfilled the mission of God by paying for the sins of we who believe. When you believe that Jesus died for you on the cross, everything you've ever done wrong gets the punishment that it deserves, and you can now stand in the presence of God innocent. Some people, by looking at the, the horrors that Jesus had to go through on the cross, and when they, they hear this teaching of Jesus, you should take up your cross, they assume that that means that Jesus wants us to suffer horribly. It's hard to make that jibe with Jesus' promise of abundant life, with his promise of makarios, of happiness. Jesus doesn't want us to suffer any more than any good, healthy, and loving parent wants their children to suffer. That's not what you want for your kids. What he wants is for us to crucify our own selfish approach to life, our own pursuit of giving life to ourselves, and instead surrender our lives to him. We should not be surprised if that leads to abundant and happy life. Followers of Jesus should have some of the most abundant and happy lives there are. People should look at us and say, they've clearly figured something out here. It's not that Jesus wants us to suffer. It's that he wants us to surrender, to crucify our own selfish approach to life and instead go where he would lead us. It continues in verse 25. 
What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So what does that have to do with our work? Jesus here is laying out a, a pattern, a vision for how we should live, for how we should pursue happiness. And pursuing happiness does not mean trying to accumulate a, a mass of possessions or, or accolades from the people around us, but instead that we should surrender all that, that we should give up our life in order to have him give us life that he wants for us in its place. I was reading an article in the uh, Harvard Business Review uh, recently called Does Work Make Us Happy? And uh, it said that they had done a survey in 150 different countries, a massive worldwide survey of productivity and happiness. And they found that overwhelmingly, one of the most robust findings of the study was that people were more happy, people of working age were more happy when they were doing something productive in their lives. In fact, people who were not employed or not doing something productive, on average, reported 30% more negative emotions during the day than their peers who were actively engaged in work. Work, productivity, is part of our pursuit of happiness. It's part of what makes us happy. Now, think about that in light of the great resignation and so many people out there right now who don't want to work, who think the best thing they could do in life is to escape work. Work is part of what's, uh, what we're designed to do. Adam and Eve were designed to steward the earth. And so you and I are called into life with purpose. But it's when we reconnect with Jesus that we find purpose happily in our work. And that involves crucifying our own selfish desires and living for his purpose and his calling. A secular analogy of what Jesus wants for us comes in the story of Apple computers. There's a famous story of long ago when Steve Jobs had this little startup company called Apple, and he went and approached John Scully, who was a top executive at Pepsi, and he asked Scully to leave Pepsi to come start this more risky venture at a, a significant pay loss. And Scully looked at the, the offer and decided, well, I, I really just can't do that. That would be too much of a sacrifice. And Steve Jobs famously asked John Scully, look, do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugared water or do you want to change the world? The calling that Jesus has for most of us is something exactly like that. Do you want to spend the rest of your life cha uh, chasing after the accumulation of junk that you don't need and praise from people that won't make you happy? Or do you want to change the world? That's what calling is. That's the difference between job and calling. Calling is reconnecting with the God who made us, crucifying our own selfish desires and letting go of the life that we think we're supposed to have for ourselves in order to accept and pursue the life that Jesus wants for us. Look at the story of Moses. Moses underwent two crucifixions in his life. We remember him as the great hero who led the the people out of slavery in Egypt <clears throat> and into their promised land. But we forget that he had to undergo two crucifixions before he could do that. The first one came in his younger years. When he was a young man, 
He lived as a, a prince in the Pharaoh's palace. He was rich and had everything he wanted. And through a, a, a mishap where he ends up killing a, a slave driver, he has to flee to the desert where, where he will live for decades with next to nothing as a shepherd. The first crucifixion is, sur is surrendering the accumulation of wealth and comfort and praise and fame to accept very little in its place. The second crucifixion comes much later when Moses is older and settled, perhaps near retirement. And God speaks out of a burning bush and says, I want you to go and set my people free from slavery. And Moses' first reaction is to say, no, send somebody else. I can't do it. I don't speak well. At the bottom of his inclination must have been the sense of, I'm pretty much done with life. I don't need one more job. It's like a friend of mine who works in construction. And when he has a day off, he sits in front of the TV and he'll he'll he tells me that his wife will say, honey, what are you doing today? And he'll say, I'm relaxing. I have a day off work. And she says, well, the construction zone that you live in isn't finished and Home Depot opened three hours ago. Right? He, he never gets a break. He just wants to settle down and take a, a day off. Well, Moses was in that situation. He must have been near the end of his life, near retirement, and he settled for the fact that he was just going to be a shepherd and that was it. The second crucifixion that Moses had to endure was the surrendering of a settled and comfortable life to receive the call of God. And I would propose to you that those two crucifixions are exactly the crucifixions that you and I must go through to receive our calling. First, we have to give up the pursuit of wealth and fame and accolades and attention, all the things that would make us famous or important. And secondly, we must surrender a settled and comfortable and peaceful life where we just don't want to be bothered where we just don't want to work anymore. For many of us, the pandemic took us through the first crucifixion. It pulled jobs and wealth out from under our feet and left us with very little and a lot of disappointment. A lot of us went through that first crucifixion and we are now stuck having not, not yet reached the second one. Having come to a place where maybe we should just settle for what we have and be as comfortable as we can, and do as little work as possible, and not be bothered. Many of us still need to go through that second crucifixion of surrendering a settled life to receive Jesus' call. We see the same thing again in the life of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul says, I've learned to be content in all things. He had been shipwrecked. He had been imprisoned. He had been beaten. In the end, he would be martyred. He gave up all the education and wealth and status and family life that he could have had to live on a mission for Jesus, making Jesus' name known and starting churches. And, and the the word he uses when he says, I have learned to be content in all things is auto arche in Greek. Auto means self and arche means ruler. I have learned to be self-ruled, self-governed, self-contained. The Greeks use this word in the way that we use the term self-sufficient. I have learned to be self-sufficient in all things. So whether I have a lot or a little, I'm still filled with joy because I'm following Jesus' call on my life. I've reconnected with the vine 
that nourishes me and gives me exactly the resources that I need so that my life is filled with meaning. How did he do that? How did he get that up to that point? He says it himself. In the, in the book of Galatians, Paul describes to us uh, exactly what that looked like, how he got to this point where he could surrender all. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I once lived in the flesh, I now live by faith and in the Son of God who loves me and who died for me. He had crucified the flesh and all of its desires and living, was living with the peace of God in pursuit of God. What we must do to find meaning and purpose and joy in our work is to crucify our own desires for our work, that it would make me rich, that it would make me important, that it would make me comfortable, that it would allow me to settle. We have to let go of all of that and then take up the calling that Jesus has for our work, going where he calls us to go, happily. Think about my missionary friend. She was retiring from being a missionary in order to do more mission work. What kind of retirement is that? Here's what we have to do. We have to take God's vision for our lives and map it over the places that we already are. It's like this. In Google Maps, the software Google Maps, there, there are several layers that you can click on to see the topography of the world around you through different views. You can look at the, the landscape. You can look at the, the street view and see where the streets are. But then there are buttons that you can press that will tell you where live activity is going on. You can click on a traffic button that'll show you green, yellow, and red to show you where the most traffic is so you can choose your route based on the, the congestion. It shows you day-to-day minute to minute, where things are moving and alive and changing. And God wants us to map his view of our world on top of the static view that we already have. I have a workplace. I have a place that I live. I know where the streets that I drive on go. But what if I envision a living and active spiritual realm on top of that? where there are people that Jesus wants me to encounter so that I might have divine appointments with them where I am called to pray for them and care for them and to be radically generous with them so that they know the love of Jesus? What if instead of just the boring, static, unmoving map of my life that I carry around in my mind, I envision God's view of my life mapped over it where everything is alive, where everywhere I go, Jesus is with me. Where everywhere I go, there are opportunities for moments where I might bless someone's life in a way that will change them forever. Uh, on Google Maps, there's a, another map, the, another layer that you can click on, and this is particularly good in California. It tells you where there are active wildfires. It tells you where danger is. Uh, and I wish I had this at one point. I remember the uh, we just, at our church, we just got a new student minister who's coming next month. Ryan is beginning his job here. We're looking forward to that. But I remember when our last student minister, Raul, was interviewing here. And he flew out to interview. And uh, Anth Pastor Anthony and I took him out to Santa Monica and showed him the beach. And it was beautiful. We took him out to dinner. And we were driving back here to Glendora. And I wish I had looked at Google Maps because it turns out uh, that over around the 210, there was an enormous wildfire going on. 
And as I'm, I'm driving down the 210, I realize I'm going to drive this prospective candidate right through a wildfire. I mean, it's on both sides of the freeway and we're driving back to Glendora. I'm going to drive him through this disaster zone while I try to convince him that this is a place that he wants to go and work. And so we're driving towards it and he's sitting in the passenger seat and I'm sitting in the driver's seat. And I, I see that the fire is up ahead on the left, especially in the hills. And I'm trying to have a conversation with him to distract him so he doesn't see that California is a place that's sometimes on fire. And this works for a good long while until we get up right on top of the fire and he's looking at me and he looks past me through the window and he says, wait a minute, is the mountain on fire? And I said, uh, if, you'll, uh, if you'll turn your attention to your right, you can almost see Disneyland from here. <laughs> Turns out it worked. And he ended up working here for a couple of years anyway. But, it, but it's nice to have that, that layer on, on Google Maps where you can click it and say, there are dangers ahead. There are places you don't want to go. What Jesus wants you and I to do is to map his vision of the world on top of our own. To, to look at where he's calling us to go, to look at what he's telling us to avoid so that we might live well and happily and joyfully and purposefully. That's going to leave most of us with three choices. Either one, we realize that God has called us to be a missionary right where we are. You don't have to move. You don't have to change jobs. There are people around you that God cherishes and he has put you specifically in their lives because he loves you and desires to make you purposeful. And he loves them. And, and like a good shepherd, they are lost sheep that he wants to find and bring home. You are the one who's going to do that. The first option is just to see God's vision of exactly where you are. The second one is to view your work as a means to an end where it provides for you sustenance and resources so you, that you can go about ministry in the rest of your life. Uh, Paul, the apostle Paul, was a tent maker. He made tents to sell so that he had enough money to buy bread. He didn't live to be a tent maker. He lived to be a missionary. And work was a means to an end. And sometimes we have to do that. And you can bless the world and the church because you have gifts that God has given you through your work. Um, I, I, have to, I am so thankful for all of the people who have stepped in at our new church campus here in Glendora to do all kinds of work and labor to bless our campus uh, because they have skills that they've developed. And their workplaces might be mission fields, but they are also using their work as a means to an end by, by throwing their hand into construction and, and work around our campus. Uh, to Frank Fontes of Casa Verde Landscape that does our uh, lawns here, um, Dave Nemeth of Nemeth Interiors that has done so many of our floors here, uh, Mike Ludekin who's done so much work around the campus, Richard Kramer, Daryl Mott, uh, Bob Kripe, uh, Robert and RJ Paybon, uh, Dustin Bowers, and, and there are a bunch more. There are so many people who have stepped in, say, hey, I've got skills, I've got talents, I can, I can run a leaf blower, I can, you know, I can clean up the parking lot who have stepped in to say, hey, if this is going to be our church home, I want to use the skills that I have, the work skills that I have, to bless our church home. And that, that may be exactly what God wants for your work, that your work's going to be a means to an end, where you bless those people you encounter in your work, but you primarily use your work to supply your ministry efforts throughout the course of your life. Or, thirdly, for some of us, when we look at God's 
vision for our life and our world, we realize our day-to-day life is not really conducive to it. We're not really in a place where we can care for or affect many people. We've got a kind of work that maybe paid us a lot of money at one point, but doesn't do much other than that. And there may be a moment in our lives where we have to have a come-to-Jesus moment talk with ourselves about what we do for a living. Some of us may need to stop selling sugared water and instead go and change the world. I had a friend a few years ago who was a major executive vice president in one of the big telecom companies, uh, and high-paying, powerful job. And she looked at what Jesus wanted for her life, and she realized she was not doing much for the kingdom. And she left that job to take up a position managing a Christian nonprofit conference ministry, much lower pay, and in the eyes of the world, maybe much less significant. But she was organizing conferences where people would hear the gospel and come to know Jesus and decide to follow him and be equipped for ministry and be encouraged and inspired to renew their efforts in ministry. She was changing people's lives in her new position. And when she would describe it, when she would talk about it to me, when she would talk about the the step, you know, quote unquote, down from a vice presidency into this nonprofit management, she, she would always say to me, Jim, I would never go back. I would never go back. And that's what Jesus wants for you and I today. That we would crucify the flesh and all its sinful desires. That we would crucify the pursuit of wealth and fame and importance or settledness and comfort and ease. And instead invite Jesus into our daily lives. Map his vision for the world on top of our own. And go where he calls. I guarantee if you do that, if you start that today and do that the rest of your life, when life comes to an end, you will look back and say, I would never go back. I would never go back. Amen. Pray with me. Jesus, bless our work lives, whether we work in a home or in an office or in a school Come, Holy Spirit, and fill our lives with your purpose and your mission. Highlight for us those people that we should bless and care for and be generous with, that they might know Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go be the church. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.